a Highline podcast. Hey, before we get started, I need to tell you about something we're doing for episode 100. We are doing a mailbag episode, and we want to hear from you. Tell us about a belief that has raveled for you in the last year. Tell us about what it's felt like. Have you reshaped it, or have you gotten rid of it completely? We're going to try to read as many as we can on the episode, so try to keep it to a paragraph. Email us at theravelpod at gmail.com, or DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Do it by July 30th to be a part of the episode. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a very good count impression. But what an energy. We're not even near Halloween. Wow. We're not okay. at all. No. <laughs> all right. So what are yeah. what did you guys bring to drink? Mm. What do we got? Mm. I did uh, Arnold Palmer, but I did it Ooh. with green tea. Yeah, yeah, and lemonade, and it is mm, delightful. That's the move. Well done. I am enjoying in a uh, a frosty glass. This is from Mother Earth Brewing Company. It's the Milk Truck Latte Stout. Ooh, and uh, yes, please and thank you. Those are the best <laughs> breakfast beers. Coffee stouts mm. and milk stouts and coffee milk stouts are ooh, Yeah. Yeah, they so really good. get the uh they really get like the lactose and like oat flavor in this one really well. Sometimes that milky like lactose note doesn't hit right. Mhm. But this one is hitting the spot. Solid. Very good. Uh, I made for myself a little cocktail. I did a limoncello LaCroix, got some uh Wales gin in there blue whale gin no gray whale gin and i picked up a syrup that is a lavender lemony syrup so all together it like i haven't done this one before but it tastes kind of like an herbal dreamsicle in my mouth oh wow oh yeah okay. it's interesting it's like a very like sweet i think it's like because it's a syrup but like so it's like a very sweet lemon instead of like tart lemon and it's real mm-hmm. good very plus the nice. limoncello is kind of sweet too so well played it's great for this hot seattle day it's very hot this weekend Heat wave. Mm. Yeah, it's hotter out there than it is here. Heat wave. Yeah. Cool down, people. Hydrate or dihydrate. Yeah. Thankfully, because Washington is the way it is, and because no one has AC here, they gave us a lot of warnings up front. They were like, it's going to be hot. Like, be prepared, be hydrated, get ready. So, fingers crossed. Hopefully, not as many people die this year. So, Mm -hmm. um, speaking of, no, I don't have a good segue, but I do need to shout out. Uh, two new patrons who bought our drinks this week. First one up is Jamie, complete stranger. Thank you for supporting us. Like it always feels so like meaningful when like a stranger on the internet is like, oh, I listen to you guys. I would like to support you. Like it's it's cool when our friends do it too and like people we know. But like when it's like a random stranger that we only know because of the internet, it feels kind of surreal. So shout out to you, Jamie. Yes. Um, also shout out to my good friend Lazare who has become the prodigal son himself and returned back to supporting us because his uh, <laughs> card was denied because he changed cards or something. Um, so welcome back, Lazare. As we used to say in our Padawan of Divinity program, Lazare is now in Zalair. So welcome back, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Um, do we have any other announcements up top other than uh, this is episode what? 96. Sev- six? Oh, episode 96. You guys, we have four more to go. I, I'm i not going to say I have doubt in all of you, but I don't think we're going to make our review stretch goal of 200 on Apple Podcasts and 100 on Spotify. But if you have not already reviewed us, please uh, give us a couple stars over there. It really helps us out. Um, it is my episode this week. Dun, dun, dun. And I have not prepared either of you. <laughs> oh, yes. No, in fact, all you said was, is I'm going to go get a hard drink for this. And so... I don't I don't know what to expect because 
what I would like to talk about in traditional Jesus follower fashion, I would like to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> we are oh, quite a bit removed from Easter. And I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Love it. I think that it's rare that we like talk about like, mm, it happens sometimes, but I feel like it's less than not. I don't th- feel like every episode we talk about like a specific belief or doctrine. You know what I mean? And I feel like uh, this one is a pretty center point to Christianity. So I want to get your guys' takes on the resurrection in my own course. Okay. Yeah. I knew this was coming eventually. <laughs> Y'all, I've been thinking about this one for a while. Um, to be honest, it, I think I've like been thinking about it in the back of my head for a year or two, maybe. But I think what really kicked me off thinking about it again was this last March. Um, there's this guy that I started following because of this tweet. His name is Preston Ship. He's not a pastor, and he loves to remind people of that. He's actually a lawyer. <laughs> but his tweet kind of went viral, and it got me thinking. I'm, I'm not going to read it up top. I'll read it a little bit later because I think it's an interesting question. Um, it got me thinking about the resurrection again. So really, I've been thinking about this a lot more since March. So I guess I'm just going to go open-ended to start. What do you guys think and believe about the resurrection? What do you not believe? What do you think is important to believe? And, nope, no, I'm not going to ask that one yet. Let's start from there. I'm so tempted to defer to the reverend on the call right now Uh, 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 and let uh, her go uh. first. What? Steven? (laughs) Come on, MDiv. Let's go. You chicken. (laughs) Well, this is Methodism 101. I mean, this is as Wesley as Wesley and you can get. Um really i think it's important to note first what resurrection is not um for me oh okay for me uh resurrection is not the resuscitation of a person who has died previously mm. um it is not zombies you know pushing through mm. out of the graves and you know mm. roaming in hordes or and it's not making the bodies of the undead you know get, you get what i'm saying Resurrection is this idea of people truly, fully, and completely being alive. And we find this, as Methodists, um, rooted in 1 Corinthians 15. That is what we live into in this idea of resurrection. And especially when we're looking at like eschatology, it's looking at a form of life that is not of this present age, but of one to come you know, uh, this idea of new creation and new heaven on earth. That is what resurrection is. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say a specific reference? Did you say first Corinthians five? First Corinthians 15. Are you thinking of a specific verse in there or like the whole chapter? Uh, more specifically, 42, 42 through 44 specifically. Wow, that was off the top of your head. You've been reading up. I have to know my stuff. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Reverend and correction. I'm a reverend. <laughs> I have to get used to that. I know. Um, but I think it's this idea of like the body to come is spiritual through and through. Uh, it, you know, resurrection gives us an opportunity to think about what, do you, what, what does what mean? Uh, the, the body to come is spiritual through and through. What do you think it means? Well, I guess I, uh, trigger reaction went to like Gnosticism of like how, some see the body and spirit as separate. Okay. Is that what you're suggesting? Well, no, well, but maybe it's more of less of like a temple, like a temple of the Holy Spirit, like a vessel in which divinity shines through fruition. You sure. Know? More than it does right now. Like at its best. More than it does now. Yeah. Okay. So we await this promise of resurrection, but that doesn't mean like we kind of, said like we don't just sit on the sidelines like we still have work to do and we we strive for this new creation and this new abundant life um we don't just passively wait like in the way we are Mm. currently jars of clay kind of thing yes okay yes okay that is methodism okay i i I really like your your summing up because i'm like kind of reading along in first corinthians 15 as you're talking and i feel like what you're touching on gets at what he's talking about in verse 58, where he says, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain of the Lord. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it's kind of a callback to Jesus talking about how 
like store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Yeah. Like they're right. using very similar language here. Like where, where Paul is talking about, uh, this is verse 50. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And I think I, I, I see what you're saying with like, you're not necessarily saying like body and soul or like body and spirit are like separate. They're not intrinsically tied. But what you're saying is like the, the spiritual is like the true meaningful mm-hmm. or not like the i don't know i like see what you're saying <laughs> it's like hard to put into words but like yeah like the like the spiritual work is the emphasis and we do believe i mean we we do affirm the resurrection of jesus from the dead and you know in our art we do okay. have articles that's, that's a good clarification we do have articles within united methodist doctrine that states you know like christ did truly rise again from the dead and took again you know his body and we affirm the resurrection of all people who have ever died you know, we believe all we believe all people stand. It says right here in our article, um, Article uh, 12, we believe all men stand under the righteous judgment of Jesus Christ, both now and in the last day. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, the righteous to life eternal and the wicked to endlessness mm. condemnation. Uh, since I'm not Methodist, where, what is that Whoa. article like coming from? Is that the Book of Discipline or uh, it comes from the um, it's part of our confession of faith. It's part okay. of the Articles of Religion. It's, uh, I don't want to say universal, but there are other denominations that share in those articles as well. And sure. Methodism has specific nuances to it. Gotcha. I, I really appreciated your answer. Thank you. Like, I think that a lot of people, uh, like, stop at just the, the physicality of the resurrection without talking about, like, the implications and theology of resurrection. Right. Uh, so I, I really appreciated that, like, very tight answer. That was Thank good. Thank you. How was that, Stephen? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Thank I'll you. Echo my brother Josh and say you did a great job. Um, how is, though, the affirmation of, like, Jesus picking up his, how is that not the res- resuscitation of that body? No, I think she's saying it is, but it's not just. Right. It's not just right. Oh, okay. it's more than. Are are you saying that also in the sense of like the doctrine of Jesus's glorified body that somehow there was like a like a transformation as well? It's not just like his previous body was like brought back like CPR three days later. Right. And I, you know, and I think we sometimes get caught up in that because of the story of like doubting Thomas and the disciples seeing Jesus again because of the scars that are visible. and so. It kind of does give this kind of zombie sense to it, but that's not, I don't think that is what's necessarily happening. I think it's Jesus was showing the disciples his flesh to confirm that it was him, but not in the sense of his body literally being resuscitated three days after death. He was he was showing the disciples that that body, that form to basically show them it it is i here here i am here are the wounds you you see me you hear my voice but not in the sense of scaring them to be like i'm a zombie like here's the decay and here's the you know like i think we take that literal sense and we really try to fragment it and Mm. it's it's more than that but you would still say that that was physically jesus's body as would the method that was physically Yes. Right. But you're saying it was like a yes and kind of situation. It was a yes and. Gotcha. Cool. Again, I, I really appreciate the way you worded that. I think that that's a very theologically rich way to look at it that I think a lot of Christians miss, frankly. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Or aren't taught, e- what about you, Steven? <laughs> Did either of you grow up with the idea of like the first resurrection versus second like resurrection? Ah, the parousia. Yeah. So Josh did. It was discussed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've read George Ladd uh, in my Padawan schooling, but sure, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking of uh, even what Emily read out of that article of like, some are like given, was it unending condemnation? Was that the phrase? Uh, no, the phrase specifically, me. Um, the righteous to life eternal and the wicked to endless condemnation. Yeah, so like the idea that mm. right everyone will be resurrected 
and this is very like end time, like eschatology and judgment day type stuff of like everyone's resurrected at least for a time or I'm trying to puzzle that phrasing out from what you read, Emily, because classic Steven, I just want to talk about hell now in regards to the resurrection and those implications. Um, well, yeah, but like, as we've discussed before, like you as the Christian universalist, like doesn't, you, you see the power in the resurrection being saving everyone eventually somehow. Right. Correct. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I also like am empathetic to right. Like conditional immortality, I guess for, to go through judgment day and then the wicked are like permanently ended. Right. Like I understand where that theology comes from. And that frankly Mm -hmm. still makes a lot more sense to me than even the phrasing of that. Like, I don't know. I, it feels like it's taking me aback a little bit of like, Oh, Methodists have phrases like the wicked to endless condemnation of like the endless implies conscious to me. And I think that's probably just a bias Mm -hmm. I have for Mm -hmm. theologies of hell, but like to be endlessly Mm. condemned that feels like ECT, right? Like a ter- eternal conscious torment. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that still. Sure. Obviously. Um, I think the spiritual implications for resurrection is obviously a beautiful one. Like, I even think of the, the seasonality of trees when I think of death and oh. resurrection of Ooh. like going dormant for the winter, right? The, the leaves that were there in the previous summer that nourished the tree throughout that year wither and fall off. But in their death and going into the ground, they fertilize now the soil where the roots are still planted to then nourish those roots and replenish the leaves in the next season of warmth after the winter passes. Just that endless cycle of like death and resurrection is the way the universe works. Hmm. And I think that's like captured by the image of trees very, very, very well. Mm. Or even like perennial plants. Perennials. Because you just plant it once and then, you know, they, they die, but then they come back. Yeah, but to your point, Emily, the, there is something about the Christian framework of resurrection that goes beyond just resuscitation, right? Yes. And if anything, the perennials speak more to like, again, in the case of trees, like that's more dormancy than it is death, Right. Like death has a finality to it, whereas I love that Stephen's arguing against his own analogy now. <laughs> I know. Does death have final? Does death have the final say? Well, not when you're a Christian. <laughs> Checkmate, Stephen. <laughs> um, no, I get your point. I sure. Okay. I guess where all I was I was just going for like. I see death and resurrection everywhere. Mm. And mm. I I love that that is affirmed through Jesus to mean something yeah. to us, right? Yeah. Um so Stephen where where would you stand on the resurrection or like like what what meaning does it have for you? Well, I mean so the 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 meaning again is like recognizing the cycle of life and I think something about the perpetuality of the death of one being represents life to another is very interesting. Even like a predator prey relationship, mm. the circle of life. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I guess if you're asking me theologically where I stand, like I, I'm comfortable when I pray, right. Like the Nicene creed, uh, no, the apostles creed, I guess it's in both, but like, I believe in the resurrection of the body and, I really appreciated the way Emily reminds us that it's it's like that yes and of it's like we don't need to debate the physics of what that meant. I mean, we can mm-hmm. for sure, right? Like a literal empty tomb, I think, means something, but it also means a lot more in a spiritual sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'm pro I'm pro bodily resurrection. Um, I think my opinion on the resurrection, unless you had more to say, Stephen, about um. Like your thoughts on the resurrection. Oh, no, I've been rambling enough. Um, not to be confused with the insurrection, <laughs> but I think my thoughts on the resurrection have, mm, I think for lack of a better word, dramatically de-emphasized for me. Like, I no longer think that 
Jesus resurrected bodily to prove he was the son of God. I think a lot of Christians talk about him that way and talk about the resurrection that way. And I don't think that anymore. And I also, I'm like still coming to terms with like putting words around this. I don't think I affirm the bodily resurrection in the sense that I think that A, there is not sufficient proof to believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And B, I do not think that the concept, the Christian concept of resurrection life is threatened by Jesus not returning through body three days later. And I also think that those, like, I also think that believing that subset of beliefs is like not a new thing. Like, plenty of Christians believe in, like, for lack of a better word, the resurrection being quote unquote just spiritual. Mm-hmm. As if, like, that is any less than being physical. Like, kind of to your point, Emily, that like there's a, there's like a transformative power in that, like, Jesus somehow came back in more. And actually, I, f- I think that a lot of Christians, even if they wouldn't word it that way, I think that they would agree that like there was something like, like there was power in there, there's power in Jesus after the resurrection. Yeah. In a way that in a way that is not present in his pre-resurrection story. And I'm, I'm like still coming to terms with like putting this to words, I guess. But one way that I put it. So uh, Preston Ship's tweet that he went viral with was. Hey, Christians, if definitive evidence was discovered establishing that Jesus did not rise from the dead, how would your life change? Which I think is a brilliantly worded question because it's it's very thought experimenty. And to be honest, he got when I screenshotted it uh, moments ago, that tweet had 519 quote tweets and a lot of people went off on him, (laughs) which uh, to be fair, I think a lot of people like felt like their like their faith was being attacked, even though like he was fundamentally not doing that. I tried wording it away way back when, when I was like kind of reading his discourse. Like he was just like constantly talking about the the resurrection and the different Christian interpretations of resurrection, which there are many. And here's the way I was trying to word it at the time. If the details of the story are wrong, Christians still believe that it's the power of the story that saves. Grace through faith, not seeing. Every Christian who quote unquote believes in Jesus should be okay with resurrection being non-literal. And I think I stand by that. Mm. Because like at the end of the day, like if I if I believe that like faith and doubt are intrinsically intertwined, like I think that you can believe in the physical resurrection quote unquote and also doubt it at the same time. Like I think you can like choose to believe in something. Oh yeah. And, like without sufficient quote unquote sufficient evidence to back it up like scientifically. Like I don't think Christianity has ever been about that, to be honest. And I don't think it should be. So, like, I, I, I also don't want this to come across as, like, I think anyone who believes in the physical, bodily resurrection of the Christ, I, I don't think they're dumb. Like, I, I don't want to come across that way. Like, I, I think that plenty of intellectually honest and intellectually smart, brilliant people can and do believe in the bodily resurrection. You guys being great examples, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think that there's I'm I'm still not quite sure like how to word it. I mean, I really liked how you worded it, like you going like the spiritual angle, like the spiritual importance of the resurrection. But I still think there's like something to the story, like like everyone's version of the gospel that converts them, like it's imparted to us through story. Like we we choose to believe the story of it, and I don't think that should be taken for granted. I also don't think that that like inherently discredits the power of it. Or the fact that like early Christians also believed this story. But I still find myself, I I still find myself like, A, not believing that Jesus bodily resurrected. And B, I don't think my like faith in Jesus has diminished either. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know. I kind of touched on a lot of things there. What do you guys think? I can appreciate that. And I think, you know, for you to to ensure for those individuals who do believe in the physicality of it, that they're not seen as dumb or less than is important because I think it can be easy for individuals who do believe in the physicality 
to have people question their sanity, you know, and to question, Mm -hmm. you know, do they really understand what they believe and do they understand science and do they understand like what death means and, you know, try to make them feel dumb. And I think that's shameful. And I appreciate your answer actually very much, Josh. Well, thank you. Yeah. What about you, Stephen? Well, I was curious if you would elaborate then how you take 1 Corinthians 15 in potential response to Josh. Ooh, yeah, I would like to hear that too. Who, me? Yeah, you, Emily, especially starting in verse 12. Yeah, you. Starting at what? Starting in verse 12. I'm curious how you would then interpret what Paul begins to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you want me to read it first and then you can respond? Yeah, read it. I'll, I'll pull it up and I'll follow along, but read it. Okay, so I'm reading NIV. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I guess I'm curious if you think that Paul has something very, very, very specific to say to Josh right now. Or or if you think that Paul's language here can include Josh's sentiment, right, about the spiritual like representation of what the resurrection is. If not, right, the literal or physical. Yes, I do. I I'm gonna go with the latter. And I think we have to remember like this audience is first century audience. And mm. They might even not find the idea of bodily resurrection appealing. And you have to remember, like, in other cultures, it is celebrated, but in other parts, it is not. And so we have to maybe consider who is Paul's audience in this time, right? City of Corinth, which was a community that was comprised of many walks of life. And so I think what's being said here is trying to give kind of a I don't want to say Christianity for dummies, but like like a mm. kind of fundamental 101 message for this community. But I think it's more than just the physicality. I do think it is also encompassing the spiritual as well and trying to tell the community, if you do not believe in this, then it is futile. You know, like this is the essence of of Christ, like Christ rising from the dead, showing us that death does not have the final say is foundational for this faith. And so if you don't believe that, if you do believe that death has the final say, then you you know you're walking in in this other way. And I think what Josh is saying is that Josh does believe in the resurrection, but the physicality part is not essential in that belief for him. Yeah. Is it possible that we miss some spiritual truth of the resurrection if we discount the physical aspect of it. Mm, that's a good question. Possibly. But I also, maybe one question that comes to mind is how much of the physical are we wanting Jesus as this decayed zombie, like, <laughs> you know, resuscitated back into his old body type of resurrection? Or do we like the idea of Jesus kind of being cleaned up and polished, but still having the scars to at least show the disciples that, yeah, it really is me? (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but if the disciples saw a three dead, like three days decayed Jesus and Jesus trying to show them, hey, it's me, it's okay, I would hope that they would freak out. I would hope that they would be totally baffled. You know, like look at the story of Lazarus. Right. Lazarus was dead. How many days? Yeah. People freaked out because he was wrapped Mm. up. He was wrapped in oils because the smell was going to be so bad. So, yeah, for him to come out and to take the wrappings off of him, people were freaking out because they're like, oh, my gosh, he's (laughs) going to smell. (laughs) And so 
how much of the physical do you want? And is, is that what you need to believe? If you need a zombie Jesus, then maybe this isn't the faith for you. Ooh. I think that's why I think Preston's question is so interesting. Like, like hypothetically, if we were to discover somehow that the resurrection did not physically happen, like what, what would change about your faith? And I, I think I feel very comfortable saying like, I don't think a lot would change actually for me. Like, I, I don't think that that devalues Jesus saying loving your enemies and loving your neighbors the self is the way of God. Like the disciples believed Jesus was the Messiah and the son of God before he resurrected. I mean, granted there was more theology done on that, like in Paul's letters. Right. But, and like more mm-hmm. like connections made, but I don't think that devalues Jesus's ministry for lack of a better word. And, you know, if you think about it, this idea of resurrection and being able to see a body. When Jesus was in the garden and speaking to Mary, like she didn't see the scars, but it was when he said her name. Mm. And so it's, you know, like there is something about a body. But for all she knew, like she she didn't need the scars and, you know, she was okay with knowing Hey, he, the way he has addressed me, like, I know it's him, like, I can see it. And the fact that she didn't even recognize him at first because he was, you know, in the garden, probably tending to flowers or plants. And so she mistaked him for a gardener. (laughs) Like, Mm. there is something about a physical trait that I think is important, but I don't think it is the importance. What did you two think of my? Um, falling back on like the story aspect because like one of the things I'm thinking of is like Jesus taught in parables and like it's so clear that there is metaphor in the Bible and that that doesn't diminish spiritual truth and that like I I think it's very reasonable to have the opinion that like the point of the Bible is not to give us historical fact but to give us spiritual truth like it's leading mm-hmm. us to to God through Jesus. Like, that's very orthodox. Yeah. And, like, to me, there's, like, I think it's definitely a different way of thinking about the resurrection for sure. But I think that it's kind of powerful to think about it, like, well, what if it was just a parable? Like, I'm not saying it is, but, like, so what if it was? Like, how would that change things for you if, like, we believe that Jesus taught in other parables and, like, regardless of whether or not they happened, like, we talk about the prodigal son and the lost sheep all the time. Like, it penetrates our theology. Mm. And I don't know, there's just like something for me like about thinking of it like what like what is the story of resurrection? Because fundamentally, like regardless of what happened or didn't happen, it is a story that Christianity tells. That is the gospel, right? Like mm-hmm. incarnation, resurrection. Obviously, there's like different emphases in like incarnational theology as well, like like the implications of God becoming and being human, fully human, fully God. I think those are really interesting conversations. And frankly, I think that a focus on resurrection kind of looks past incarnation a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. I, think it, I think it becomes really simplified and streamlined. And honestly, I think that we forget like how ridiculous of a claim it is. Like, no, I'm not saying like people who believe it are stupid, again. But like, like to your point, Emily, about like the cultures at the time, like I 100% believe that like first generation Christians 100% believed this to be true. Like there was not this culture of like investigative journalism and scientific proof there was at the time, like of other people said it happened, it happened, right? Mm-hmm. And in the great tradition, like we have passed down the story of it happening. And I think there's power in that. Like I, I think that we shouldn't discount the fact that like on the fundamental bare bones of Christianity, like the gospel's a story. So I'm curious what you guys thought about me kind of falling back on that. At the end of the day, if we got the details wrong, at least I live my life like following a message that was ultimately for the better and good of others. You know, like <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. feel bad about it. Like I wouldn't feel stupid. I wouldn't feel ashamed. You know, And as of right now, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold on to the fact that it is true. And if I find out that I'm wrong, then so be it. But like as of right now, I'm going to believe it, you know, and. Mm. You can try to prove me otherwise, and if it turns out you're right, then I will 
I will tilt my hat towards you and say touche, but like, (laughs) Uh. yeah, if it doesn't change what the purpose, like the meaning and the content of the, like the story itself, wanting, wanting to spread good news and love. Yeah. See, that's how I feel too. Like, I'm not interested in disproving the resurrection. Like, I I think that you could make a case against it, but honestly, I'm not really interested in that either. Like, I, I, I just, I feel like as my, as my faith has like de-emphasized believing in a physical resurrection in terms of importance, like it's like moved down the, the chain or whatever, like I've realized that I don't think I believe in Jesus any less. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. If you are willing to give an inch on someone that you don't like and use that as a justification to use force against them or to exclude them in some way or anything like that, you are leaning into these authoritarian ways of of viewing the world. And so the only way to combat that is to truly love your enemy. Because if you're willing to use force against your enemy, you better be careful because you're going to become the enemy at some point and force will be used against you. Uh, so here at Ravel, uh, it's pretty well known at this point that Stephen and I are a little coffee snobbish, at least. Like, Stephen, how many brew methods do you own at home? Oh, golly. I think it's probably four or five. Uh, French press, arrow press, pour over. I have, like, this nifty camping pour over rig. Um, I do use a Keurig when times are tight. That's fine. Um, but right now they're not because I am drinking some delicious Highline blend coffee. Delicious. I need to get in on this action. I go to coffee shops all the time. I would love to be able to make coffee at home. So Revel Coffee, huh? They're Montana local, right? International award-winning roaster? Revel, nice. Absolutely they are. And they will ship a fresh roasted bag directly to your door when you order through the Highline shop at highline.network slash shop. Steven, you're pretty quiet this episode, which is shocking to me. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's shocking? I'm, yeah, I'm really curious what you're thinking about over there. I am kind of self-interrogating why I feel so comfortable releasing the literalness of the story of Jonah and Ooh. still uncomfortable with releasing the literalness of the like resurrection. I think that's okay. I I I don't think yeah. that's hypocritical uh, because I think Jonah opened up to me as a story when I came to a place cuz I don't think I decided that it was not literally true, right? Well, however you want to define that, but like when I came to a place of like I don't need it to have actually happened this way to glean some incredible truths about the nature of like honestly just how petty I can be right like I see myself in Jonah a lot being like increasingly like frustrated with God that God's love would be so radical to include even my enemies and the people that I find displeasurable 
and like I don't like being around. So, and that's what that story teaches me, right? Is like God will always make room for the people that even I don't want to make room for. And it's my responsibility as a disciple to like learn to make room for the same people. And it also shows me that the, the inclination of harboring resentment and grudges is both normal, but also something to be like worked on and overcome. So like Jonah used to represent only, do I think there was a whale big enough to swallow a human and that a human could survive three days in it without being digested? And then once that became a non-factor to me, the story actually became what it was supposed to be for me. But I think with the resurrection, where I still feel weird is I still, I feel like the resurrection is what it is to me because I feel, I still feel convinced that it is saying something like about physicality and about like the atoms and the quarks and the molecules that make up the universe, right? Like I want it to say something about that. So I don't quite want to release that and let it potentially become more like I can recognize that in the same way that that worked for Jonah with the story of Jonah for me, like if I release the need for it to be literal, then maybe the resurrection becomes even more meaningful in some ways. But I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm not convinced that it could become more meaningful even standing in the belief I have that it is physical and it was, I guess, literal is the word I keep coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I can respect that. And I think that um, I think that wrestling with whether or not it's not even just metaphorical or literal, but like, did it happen the exact way I think it happened? I think that's fine to wrestle with because like at the end of the day, none of us were at the resurrection. And I think that that's what leads me to like this place of like faith doubt where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And I kind of don't care. Yeah. And I think part of me still wants to care. And I do care, you sure. know? No, and I think that's fine too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I actually really like the way you're theologizing about like what, what the physical resurrection, like what theological implications that has for the body. Like, I think in a lot of uh, current theological circles, I think there's a lot of talk right now about like embodiment and the importance of theologizing about the body. And like, yeah. 100% agree that like physical resurrection puts a really good, healthy emphasis on that. I, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. But I also don't think, on the flip side, I don't think that a non-physical resurrection, <laughs> I'm saying that like I understand what that means, <laughs> but like I don't think that a non-physical resurrection would like disaffirm a healthy theology about the body, you know? Right. Yeah. I guess the silly image I just got in my head is when, Emily, you probably know what I'm talking about, but when Sean, Sean Connery's character in Dragonheart dies... And becomes mm. a like a another star oh. in the constellation in the sky. Mm -hmm. I guess it also makes me think of the way like Simba sees Mufasa in the stars when he's having his like becoming a man moment. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. But like yeah. so like whatever that resurrection of Mufasa looks like, like in the stars, right? Like Simba. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's the image I get in my head right now. I think I may have betrayed myself very early on with my questioning of Emily in invoking like first Corinthians. <laughs> no, not first Corinthians, but invoking like the, uh, I think it's a very easy answer and it's a very easy fallback for me and the people who trained me in Christianity to on a trigger response, denounce Gnosticism in that mm. the body and the soul are separate and the soul is somehow inherently good and the body is something to be like detested as evil or like, you know, given over to our fleshly desires as Paul often calls them. Like somehow there's a dualism in the body being bad and the soul being good. And I think mm. for me, like holding on to physical resurrection is like incarnation. Sure. But the fact that, the way a physical resurrection preaches to me that the incarnation even goes through death and that the goodness of our bodies and the goodness of the chemicals and molecules that make us up are also good. Like goodness all the way down to subatomic levels. 
Yeah, I guess that's what that that's what sticks with me is like a physical resurrection continues to preach to me that even through death, like the body isn't something to be just divorced and we leave it behind in heaven as if we've like mm. upgraded, you know? Sure. Hmm. I don't mean to uh just dog on the resurrection account, but I think that it's it's very interesting to me that a lot of Christians put the resurrection in very like absolutely simple terms when like the gospels very obviously like have different details. Like <laughs> did Jesus refuse to be touched or did he allow people to touch him? Did he eat or did he not eat post resurrection? Was it Mary and the women there first or was it Mary, Peter and John? Was John even there? Like even if someone believes in the physical resurrection, it's, I don't think it's a far stretch at all to say that like, the details that are in the Gospels probably aren't completely accurate. Like they differ. Like they can't all be the same in the in the way that like we're reading them at face value. Like maybe they, maybe each of those details happened to some extent. Or like, was there an earthquake? Were there angels? Like not each Gospel highlights those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like I suppose on a scholarly level, that's not to say those things didn't happen just because the account doesn't mention them. But like at the very least the Gospels disagree with each other in terms of the details. And like all of that to say, I think the resurrection, I think one thing about the bodily resurrection as like certain fact, as an emphasis that I don't like, is that I think that it looks past the mystery. And I think that the, I think that the resurrection, if it's trying to teach us anything, is teaching us the mystery, like leaning into the mystery of faith. Like, I actually really like the way that um, Preston answered his own question once somebody finally asked it back to him. It took a while, but his answer was, most of the time I believe it, at least I think I do. I don't know. It's a great story. It moves me. I want it to have happened, but I also understand that it may be a metaphor or parable the early church developed to illustrate the ongoing impact of Jesus on their lives. Personally, I find that very, like, not just intellectual humility focused but very humbling or i mean like i guess those are the same word (laughs) i find that personally humbling in terms of like i can't prove it and i also can't disprove it but what i can acknowledge is what does believing in this thing or like to what emphasis in believing it does that have on my theology of god and of people and of what it means to be a christian and I think that's why I really appreciated his initial question, because not only what is it a really fun, like thought provoking experiment, but I think what it gets at is like your interpretation of Jesus, it really does matter. And it has like real world physical impact. And I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that I think believing in the resurrection is wrong or misinformed, but I think that like without a well-rounded, rich theology of like. Like, Emily, I think yours is a great example. And honestly, it's like one of the most refreshing examples I've heard in a while of like, what does resurrection mean Aww. on a theological level? I think without that, like, if you just take the resurrection at face value, I don't think that's as meaningful as mm. like a developed theology of like what that's calling us to do. Yeah. Mm. Amen. <laughs> ah, thank you. Oh. Like, cause that's what it's all about, right? Like faith without works is dead. Like, yeah. if the res, if believing in the resurrection doesn't force me to do something, I, I think that's an, I would, I would argue that that's kind of an empty faith. Like if, if the only point is mm-hmm. believing that Christ was raised from the dead for what, why? Right. I think, I think if we don't consider that, then I would say that's what Paul is getting at with faith without works is dead personally. Oof. James. James, <laughs> is it obvious I haven't been reading my Bible? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to ruin your beautiful point. <sighs> but I don't know. I'm also like balancing that with like, I, I don't want to be the person who's just like trying to convince other people that Jesus did not raise from the dead because I don't feel like that's the point either. Not for me anyway. Right. I don't know. It's a weird one. It's a weird one to sit with, honestly. Yeah. It is. It's a delicate balance. 
and it's one and that's the thing josh is like you're not the only one wrestling with this you know i'm pretty sure many of us are wrestling with that and i think if we try to prove one or the other then i think we're missing the point there too because like you said it's about action and living into and being not about proving <laughs> yeah i'm i'm still over here thinking about how i could take like everything you're saying josh and be like yeah that's how i feel about jonah amen get after it brother mm. <laughs> <laughs> But still feeling weird about that in You'll regards to there, resurrection. Steven. Yeah, maybe I get You'll there. You'll get there. Honestly, or maybe though, you won't. yeah, exactly. Maybe I won't. Like, I, I think this is a, is also a great example of how to lean on some language we used in the last episode. Like, I think this is a beautiful example of how we, as a group, can continue to collaborate and be interdependent on each other with like acknowledging the diversity in our theologies together and as a as a group understanding that we're in different places, but that doesn't have to like foster any kind of like mistrust as if it's a wedge to be like driven between us. And eventually we're going to divide and now we're going to have a ravel United denomination and a ravel global denomination or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, there's something about our attitudes that at least continues to knit us together in a way that I'm not threatened by Josh saying that. And in no way have I taken any of Josh's words today to, to say that he thinks Steven is stupid or not further along in the pro right. Cause that like that implies that one of us is more enlightened than the other. And I don't think either of us believe that. Right. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. One thing I I just keep coming back to this guy's tweet because honestly I th I think the <laughs> the Twitter discourse he started was very masterclass in uh, tweeting for sure. Oh, it was great. <laughs> um, he had some very pithy responses, I will admit, but I think overall the discourse is very uh, enlightening towards some people's opinions. Like one of them that kept coming back over and over and over again, and I only saw it as someone on the sidelines was that. A lot of people clearly had the response that, oh, if the resurrection isn't real, then like I'm joining orgies and I'm like going out and murdering people. Like it's all all bets are off. Like morality doesn't exist. And I was like, <sighs> like, e like I think a lot of people like engaging in him with it that were like, you know, engaging in good faith, like asking good questions and like trying to like have some theological discourse. I think that a lot of people were like, whoa, yeah, that is kind of like half baked. Like, what are you talking about? Like. <laughs> do you really believe that? <laughs> and like he quote tweeted a couple of them and he was like, I really like, I truly hope this person never questions the resurrection. <laughs> like I don't want them pillaging. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. But I think that what, I mean, I really don't think those people believe that, but I think what it does get at is Peter Rollins has this great clip about, does he deny the resurrection? And he does it in this like very, have you guys seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Uh. -uh. He does it in this very like, philosophical professory answer, you know, like, you know, like when you ever asked a teacher a question and you wanted a very clear cut answer, like Mr. Robinson was the Supreme court right in doing this. And instead they like, they answer with more questions and answers much in the way uh, a person I know once did. But so Peter Rollins gives wow. this, this answer of like, do I deny the resurrection? Of course I deny the resurrection. Every time I overlook my neighbor, I deny it every day. I deny it every week. I work on not denying the resurrection. And I think that's a very powerful sentiment. And I think that that's like, it's kind of like the same line of thinking as the person who's like, well, all bets are off with morality, except he's like, yeah, that, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase that, but like, it's kind of like the same line of thinking of like, you deny the power of the resurrection when you don't follow Jesus's teaching. Yeah. Like regardless of what we believe right. about the mm. details and the the physics and the like whether or not we can prove it. Yeah. And the historicity of it at all. Like we deny the idea of resurrection. Yeah. And the mission of Jesus every time we So fuck I, up. I have a couple thoughts there. The the first of which is uh looking e even further in First Corinthians fifteen, I think the same people who say like, well, all bets, bets are off, right? Like I'm going to orgies cause that'll feel nice or whatever. 
I think they get that line of argumentation from Paul in first Corinthians 15, because just a few verses later, he's like, what should we say Mm. then? Like today we eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we'll die. Mm. Like Paul does that. And I think Mm. we should remember that Paul was a person who was doing philosophy and theology at the same time Mm. and had a platform to do so. And yes, he was convicted by very sincere uh, beliefs that I believe were fueled by a truly mystical experience on the road to Damascus, but he was doing philosophy in a place that is known for doing philosophy, right? Like Mm, he was a Roman Seneca was a peer Mm -hmm. of Paul's having founded like the, the whole school of stoicism. That's like they, they likely knew each other. So Paul doing philosophy like and in that argumentation style that he likely learned being a Roman citizen and educated in addition to being an educated Pharisee, right? Like he had argumentation styles and that's probably what he was doing Mm -hmm. through all his letters, right? Especially Romans and especially first Corinthians being his longest works. So that's my first thought. Just know that Paul was a human and I definitely read his letters as a human attempting to do philosophy by his convictions and not like mm, yeah, God whispering in his ear in an inerrant way while he was stuck in a jail cell. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. So that was my first thought. My second thought is that I, I really like this idea of like, yeah, I deny the resurrection every day when I fail to do what mm. the resurrected person is asking me to do. And that like, I think this is why, okay, this is why like baptism means a lot because obviously and maybe not so obviously, but baptism represents like the death and resurrection of ourselves. Like we are choosing to mm. voluntarily say and or pledge allegiance to say that I am choosing to die now before I actually die so that I can begin living a resurrected life before I even need to. Mm. So that's baptism. And I think the the pairing of Eucharist and communion with baptism is what like that's the theology that continues to emphasize the physicality part to me because like eating is a sacred thing and to in a mystical way, eat the body and blood of Christ is to like join in a resurrected body in that moment. And sure, that's Mm. a, that's a metaphysical idea of like, we're all imbibing the same cracker and Welch's grape juice. Thank you. Those Methodist brothers. You're welcome for, (laughs) for putting that out. Uh, they make really good gummies too now. It's wonderful. It's true. It's great. <laughs> we should take those for communion. The Welches. Anyway. So like it it's so meaningful that Emily and I can take a bit of the same bread and of the same like like dip it in the same vessel of something that represents that like the that blood and we we each put it inside ourselves and now we are the resurrected body. Mm. mm. Right? So like in that Mm. way, Mm. absolutely metaphor, the spiritual, the mystical, I'm all here for it. And I guess to, to really like drive it home, I guess I'm very, I'm just very into like the yes and of it all that it's like, yes, Mm. it is the metaphorical and the mystical. And I think it was physical. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To your point. Um, I know I was just talking Emily cause I would like to hear from you too, but, uh, to your point, Steven, um, to make the text argue with itself a little bit, yeah. um, Paul says in verse 50, now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the blinking of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on Mm. immortality. Now, when this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. The saying is, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And I feel like what he's getting at there is like highlighting the mystery of resurrection. Like, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. not the body we have right now. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to be the same. Like it's, it's something else. It's of the kingdom of God. We don't understand it. We're raised somehow. And it's like through God's changing that Christ is enacted in the world. 
That's what I see in it. Amen. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so good. Yeah, where are you at, Emily? I'm all over the place. He's <laughs> like, this is this is every pastor's dream to discuss the resurrection, like to share the good news and to grapple with this very mystery. Like we promote and explain and share what we believe in this thing that we don't even fully understand ourselves. And yet it's beautiful. And yet, like, there's so much more to this than I think what we see. And it's in the everyday and hereafter that we discover that, you know, one of the things that I was just thinking of in like our book of worship, um, our book of worship is not like a hymnal. Our book of worship has liturgy for like weddings and things of that nature. And I realized that in our book of worship, we call services for funerals services of death and resurrection. Oh, interesting. And I like I kind of like that because it's not just a simple of laying a loved one to rest. Like it's also a celebratory act of seeing the life that they lived. And here's what we can you know hope for hereafter. And knowing that death doesn't have the final say. So I, I like that it's not like, a you know, liturgy of funerals. It's liturgy of death and resurrection. And I love that. I think that's just so poetic. Mm. I think there's something you got me thinking about funerals and the way we will talk about funerals as like celebrations of life and how many a pastor will say like, we're not here to mourn, right? We're here to celebrate. And obviously, I think we no. We're also there, there to grieve. To, we should be there to do both, obviously. But I'm thinking about memory in the way that it relates to resurrection. I think many a person has been triggered into a bit of a existential crisis when they think of eventually there there will be no one on earth that remembers me as me, mm. mm-hmm. right? And that, like, people have done philosophy about, like, that is truly when you die, when the last person that remembers you also dies and i think that's also kind of like the movie coco right with the the memory the memory of their grandparents and all that like you continue to tell the stories and on the uh the festival of the day of the dead right like it's a it's a time of remembrance and i'm so struck by the idea and by the what seems to be intentional phrasing of the resurrection is carried on when paul writes about sharing communion and saying like, Mm. and even Jesus says it right. Like in the upper room, like do this in remembrance of me. It's the remembrance that actually in a literal way, it's like remember to like put the members of a body back together to remember. And that's like resurrection happening. I love that. You know what I've never thought of before is that Jesus said that before the resurrection and he's not asking us to remember the resurrection. Right. He's asking us to remember him. Never put that together before. That's interesting. And not just to remember him, but to remember like his life and his ministry and his way in the world. Mm Because it's not enough just to remember the person. It's what the person did. Yeah. You know, like at a funeral, when you recount, you don't just say, oh, like I I miss this person. You say, I miss this person. Do you remember the time when they and then you share about their life? It's not just about the fact that that person existed. It's the fact that that person existed and did something that we remember and it's when we share in that and in this new creation what are we going to remember what are we going to bring forth and be enacted into this new life that we're called to live you know because yeah jesus didn't say just remember me he said do this like live in remembrance of me in the ways that i lived and in the ways that i served others do break bread give thanks in the way that I broke bread and gave thanks. I think that um, I might bring this up on a future episode because I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I think that there is a prevalence uh, these days to like sum up being a Christian as I just want to be like Jesus. And I've certainly been there myself. And I think it's a certainly a simplification. And I think most people would agree with that. But what I, th- I think is interesting, and I asked someone this recently and they did not respond well to it because they, they posted that phrase on Facebook. and I. I pose the question of like, I think that's a great question and we should consider what parts of Jesus we are to be like and which ones he is not calling us to be like. Because for instance, Jesus is not calling for us to be physically crucified 
and then physically resurrected. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the, Stephen, I think your point about remembrance and going back to like the idea of, do we deny Jesus in the resurrection every time we don't act like Jesus or like we don't act out the parables or we don't act lovingly? I think that that's, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I could. I think we could go on about that for a whole episode, but I don't know. I'm just like kind of like ruminating in that right now. I just want to thank you guys uh, for like thinking about this with me. And like, I think that this is a great, great example of like everything that we like want Ravel to be and stand for in terms of like normalizing people, pulling on the threads of their faith and deciding what they don't believe in anymore, don't believe in as much or and like normalizing people doing that here in the discord or like by sharing the podcast or like in their own ways in their own communities and like normalizing people voicing their questions and i just want to say like i felt very like welcomed into this Mm. discussion that i started (laughs) but but you guys like like we obviously like did not see completely eye to eye on this but i i think that like it, it was very, very nice for me to like see like where we did find agreement, and mm. I just, I just loved it. It was like it was so beautiful to me. So thank you. Mm. This was really good. Thanks, Josh. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Any final thoughts? What are we thinking about right now? No. Perfect. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I say it every episode, but literally, I think every episode. The latest episode we made is the best episode we made. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we do that to ourselves so often, and I'm I'm very proud. We of it. are good at it. Yeah. Is that happening with yes. the church? Ope. 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 Stay the latest tuned. denomination, the best one. <laughs> <laughs> they like to think so. I'm gonna say maybe. Emily, All right. yeah. How how would you close a discussion uh, with a heretic who doesn't believe in the physicality and historicity of Jesus' resurrection? Well, you know, I kind of want to just look at the idea that actually comes from one of our services of death and resurrection. May you live as those prepare to die and die as those who go forth to live. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.